I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we go. We got another good show for you today. Today is Text the Show Thursday. We're supposed to have my beautiful wife, Kelly Girl, here with us, but uh, we are leaving Saturday morning for for Kauai, Hawaii. We're leaving, so she is out making sure that she is ready for the trip. So I'm going to be running the show today. I'm going to be taking care of what we need to talk about. You can text the show. I will answer your questions today. Today we're going to be taking all your questions. If you have questions for Kelly Girl, you're just going to have to ask me. I'll try to answer them to the best of my ability. We have quite a few questions already have come through from people on uh, on uh, Spotify and Apple and Megaphone. So we have quite a few questions. We'll get to that in a few minutes. I need your I need everybody's help. Okay, my brand new app that I built that we've been talking about since the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Festival. Apparently, in order to rank higher, I need more of you to download my app. Regardless of if you're going to sign up for it or not, I just need you to go and download the app. I am here every single day for all of you. I try to make sure that I put on a good show for you every single day. Do me a favor. Just grab this. It'll take seconds. I think... One of the uh, guys at the show, it took him almost 10 whole seconds, less than that. Just grab this QR code, gang, and download download my app. It'll help me out tremendously. I'm not asking for you to sign up. I'm not asking for you to spend your hard-earned money so that you don't have to suck at fishing anymore. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just asking you if you could please hit that QR code. The more people that are hitting that QR code, the better for the ranking for my app. Moves me up on the Google App Store and PlayStation or a Google Play Store and the App Store. And it just helps me out. Just help me. It takes two seconds out of your busy day to hit that with your phone, just like you were going to order a sandwich. Grab that QR code. Those of you that are listening on Spotify, Apple, and Megaphone while you're driving down the road, Download the app. <laughs> yeah. Use your phone while you're driving down the road. Download the app. Hit that QR code with your phone, gang. Grab it with your camera and just get it. Do me a favor, gang. I do you guys a favor every single day by putting on this phenomenal show and making y'all laugh and entertaining you. Just hit that with your um, phone. Help me out a little bit. It won't hurt you, I promise. It, it'll be, you'll be stoked to have it on your phone anyway. So check it out, download, download the app onto your phone or your iPad, or if you already have it downloaded, download it on your iPad or your, your, uh, 
laptop or your computer, hit that QR code. Thanks, all two of you that did it. Wow, whole two of you. Thanks. All right. Oh, three now. Gang, I'm not asking you to give me a bunch of money. I'm asking you to hit that with your phone. You're all watching me right now anyway. Just scan it with your telephone. Grab that QR code real quick. We're going to get going here in just a second. I have a phenomenal amount of questions. Remember, we give away a shirt to one lucky texter when we do this uh, text the show. If you don't know the number, 949-374-0786. I'll answer all your questions about fishing, whale watching, general boating, how to tie your boat up. I don't know if any of you have looked at that video yet. It's up to 2.7 million views right now, how to tie up your boat. It has right around 9,000 comments, and I think 8,999 of them are super negative telling me I don't know how to tie up a boat. So if you want to see something fun, go read those comments. It's pretty hilarious. It's pretty funny. That don't The way that everybody ties up their yachts all over the world, and uh, there's people that are letting me know that that's not how you do it. That's pretty amazing since it's the standard of the industry all over the world, but now all of a sudden it's not the way to do it because... Danny drives boats on TikTok, says it's not the way. So now everybody's piled on and said, that's not the way. How funny is that? So we're going to jump right into the questions here, gang. Those of you that are listening, driving in your car, thank you very, very much. The amount of support and the amount of people that are watching this show every day, I, I can't even thank you enough. I cannot thank you enough. It is absolutely amazing. So, okay, here's a great question. Where, where do, from John and Tina, Stan, where do kelp patties come from and how can we better locate them? Well, that's a great question and I get asked this quite often, John. Here's the deal. Kelp patties come, break off from the outer islands from, or from the Cortez Bank. There's a huge kelp bed at the Cortez Bank. There's kelp beds on San Clemente Island. There's kelp beds at San Nicolas Island. There's kelp beds at Santa Barbara Island. There's kelp beds at the Channel Islands. And what happens when we have these big storms like we just had, or in the summertime when you have a phenomenal amount of wind, it'll rip pieces of the kelp bed off. And then it'll start to travel down the coast. When these kelp patties get torn off, they travel down the coast. As they're cruising along down the coast, they'll start to accumulate bait fish underneath the kelp patty. Because if you remember what we talked about on our website, your saltwater guide, and those of you that downloaded the app, you'll, you're gonna, you know what I'm talking about. And those of you that already have it downloaded, thank you very much. But all fish are structure related. So when that piece of seaweed is out there floating in the ocean, it starts to gather up bait fish because that becomes the structure in the ocean. A lot of you got introduced to it for the very first time this year or last year fishing the Dorado underneath the kelp patties. Well, I've been fishing for a living since the late 1970s, and it's always been kelp patty, kelp patty, kelp patty fishing ever since I can remember when I was a little kid. Albacore fishing, you'd see a kelp, you'd swing by it, throw a little bait, maybe catch a handful of albies, maybe get a couple Dorado, catch a couple bluefin, stuff like that, and then the yellowfin get on them. But the kelp patties... 
The best and only way to find them is by looking hard. And if you think they're going to be in a current break, you will find kelp patties in a current break, but they're not going to have any fish on it. We call that trash piles. That's where the current's not going up the coast. It's not going down. It causes like an eddy, like in a river or a stream, and it gathers up all the trash kelp. So the kelp patties that are in those kelp, whenever I'm looking in my, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, John and Tina, but whenever I'm in a, my binoculars and I'm looking and I find a kelp, the first thing I do is look to the left of it, look to the right of it, make sure there's not four or five or six kelps all stacked up on top of each other. Because if that's the case, I know that is a dead zone. I know there's not going to be anything in that zone because that's where the junky water is. That's where the, but if I find a kelp patty in the middle of the ocean with nothing around it, no other pieces of kelp, there's a pretty darn good chance that that one's going to be holding but there isn't any great way to find kelp. There is no super secret method, how the wind's blowing, how it's all about spending time in the binoculars like Jimmy Kingsmill and I were talking about on Monday on our show about gyro stabilizing binoculars. It's all about looking. It's all about time on water, spending the time looking through the binoculars and trying to find that floating piece of seaweed. And that's how you're going to find them, John. That's how you're not going to find them by Jimmy or Joe or somebody telling you, oh, it's time of day. We found that kelp patty. Bologna, kelp patties aren't time of day. The reason why you say, oh, it's time of day. Well, that's because that's what time you found it. If you find it in the morning, then, oh, good kelp patty hunting in the morning. Well, it's good kelp patty hunting all day, every day. And now with the flare system, guys are finding them in the dark. But it's not time of day. The fish didn't bite because it was in the afternoon or the tide or any of that bologna. The kelp patty fishing is all about when you find the kelp. That's when it's going to start, when you find it. And the best way to find it is to look. Spend hours staring out of your binoculars. It sucks. I wish there was an easier, softer, kinder way, but there is not. It's all about time on water, staring into your binoculars, gang. You got to keep looking. If you want to find a kelp patty, you got to look, look, look. You got to keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. What's the most abundant, easiest fish to catch this time of year? That's a great question, and I know... You're just baiting me up because I know you and your wife already know this. But the best thing to do this time of year until the water starts to warm is fish those artificial reefs. That All the artificial reefs up and down the, the coast were built for us with our fishing license money. All the artificial reefs were built for the fishermen with the uh, intention of us fishing them. That's why... My father and I, we fought so hard for all of you when they were making these MLPs because a lot of the MLPs were, the maps were set up across these artificial reefs, which my dad and I had to get up there and talk about this and a lot of other captains got up and talked about it, but you can't put the MLPs across the artificial reefs because we paid to get the artificial reefs built with our money, the sport fishing, and then you're going to tell us we built these bitchin' reefs and now we can't fish them even though we built them to fish? 
So uh, I can get off on that subject and we can roll along. But we were lucky enough to save the one that really didn't, we didn't understand was the pipe in Aliso. The MLP runs right across the pipe in Aliso Beach, which is absolutely ludicrous. And if you look at any of the baloney that was done during the MLPs, and that's a marine pr protection, marine MLPA, Marine Life Protection Act that was shoved down our throats in California when it was giant closures to save the marine, the, the environment so that these fish could be saved. So I guess if you ever buy a glass bottom boat and you decide to take people out, you can go look at these fish in these areas, but it doesn't make any sense. And they built one of the MLPs right across the pipe in Aliso, which is a sewer pipe. So it goes against everything the MLP stands for. If you read the final print, there shouldn't be a sewer pipe in the middle of an MLP. That is just absolutely ludicrous, ridiculous. And then these MLPs, they didn't do anything. Once they got them and they got them, then they didn't do anything to enhance the areas. They didn't get rid of the sewer pipe that flows into the MLP. They didn't plant seaweed in any of the MLP. They plant kelp forests in the MLPs. They didn't do any of that to help the environment. All they did was take it away from the sport fishermen. All they did was take access away from fishing in these areas, away from us. And then that they put that feather in the cap and they walked away and they did absolutely nothing to enhance the area, which is not how it was fed to us. And the spoon was a dirty, filthy spoon they made us eat this MLP off of. So, yeah, I'm pissed when I get into talking about that. Sorry, John. And then when is the best time for whale watching? The very, very best time for whale watching is the end of February through the month of April because you have all the northbound whales coming up from the Baja with their babies. They've gone down to Baja. They've had their babies. Now their return trip up the coast is the best because they're going to stay closer to the beach. They're going to spend more of their time on the intercoastal waters of Southern California instead of during the winter months when they're bringing their, their bodies down to Baja to have their babies, they're going to stay way outside. If you look on a map or a globe, if you will, and look at Alaska to Baja, it's a straight line. The worst thing for these animals to do is to swim along the coast. It makes the trip way longer getting down there. On the trip home, absolutely. They're going to take their time because they're teaching their babies how to swim and, uh, they're taking their time waiting for the polar for uh, the Bering Sea to thaw out. So when they get up there, they can start feeding. During the migration of the California gray whale and the humpback whale, they don't feed at all. They might stop and snack a little bit. So by now, they're really, really hungry. They want to get back up to the Bering Sea where they have 24 hours of daylight, where the food chain's much richer than anywhere else in the world. So that being the Bering Sea, that's where these whales like to live for three months out of the year. They hang out up there, feed their little baby whales, and get fattened up and get ready for the season. So that's uh, that is probably the best time of the year. And then in the summertime, we've been really blessed lately with uh, the blue whales that have come into the Southern California bite. 
So in the summertime, you got the blue whales, but they're few and far between, and you don't see them all the time. And when they do show up, you'll know it. Everybody will be talking about it. But then uh, this time of year is the best time for the California gray whale and the humpback whale. And always remember, when you're approaching these whales, when you, before you get to them, make sure you figure out which way they're going. This time of year, they're going north. You don't want to get in front of them. You don't want to impede their travel. Remember, the moms are really stressed already. They got a baby. They've been dragging this baby up the coast. They've been stressed out of their mind. And then here comes Joe Potato Head and his jet ski, which the jet skis are the most detrimental things to these guys because of the high-pitched noise they make under the water. It really messes up the mother gray whale. The best boats to whale watch on are the big sport boats or the, the big tour boats because their engines are on that same pitch that these whales communicate on the frequency. So it's kind of a lower hum in the water instead of that high pitched. Oh, and you know what that's like, like bug wars on your TV. It just sucks. It, it just stresses the whale out of his mind. And then to get out in front of them, these whales are trying to swim to Alaska and you get in, you, you position your boat in front of them because you want, want them to swim by you because you saw on, Nat Geo that people were petting them. Well, that was down in the lagoons in Baja, totally regulated, and it you're not going to get to pet them. So get that out of your thought process, and don't get in front of them and make them change course. They're trying to get up to Alaska. They're trying to get their babies through the gauntlet of booger eaters. Don't be a booger eater. Leave them alone. Approach them from their tail, not their head. And just cruise at the same speed they do, which is like three to five nautical miles per hour swimming up the coast. Slow your boat down, get down to about three knots, and you can probably pretty much follow them all the way up the coast and never impede their travel. All right? So let's see. What do we got? What do we got? We got a lot of questions. Okay. Here, Dave. Can you tell me the pros and cons both for strand eight? Strand braid, this one better than the other one for certain conditions. Just looking to see what I should be purchasing for each situation. Thanks, Dave. Okay, they make hollow braid. They make eight strand. They make four strand. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I don't know all the technical. I don't know the molecular structure of the fishing pole. I don't know. I know that the braid is made out of Kevlar, that they make the bulletproof vest on because I used to get to go to the factory and watch them make it. Personally, Dave, I don't know. if Maybe when you're fishing big, giant yellowfin tuna on the long-range boat and, and they like to use that hollow braid because they like to do the... the uh, Chinese finger puzzle where they put the, the monofilament inside the braid, they, they hollow corn, they push it in there and they get it way up in there. And then when it pulls back, it doesn't slip out. You don't even have to use a knot. That kind of works. But on all my reels, I got 65 pound braid. Um, I don't have a braid sponsor. I, I uh, don't have anybody that I need to talk about. So does it matter? Well, I think that wax covered braid, I don't like it. I don't like that wax colored. I don't like the the blues and the reds and the greens and the oranges. I don't like all that because I fish like hard all day long. And when I'm using colored braid, it makes my fingers that color of the line. And 
that I don't like. To, uh, this is my personal preference. That's what you're asking. I like to use white braid because it doesn't have a bunch of colors in it. I, and it, it works fine for me. I like 65 pound and 40 pound braid. And on my, on my uh, 130 that I fished that big bluefin on, I use 200 pound braid. Um, white, 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 white. That's what I use. I use white. And uh, the, the waxy stuff, I don't like it. It doesn't cast that good for me. And then eight strand compared to four strand, I don't really know. I don't really know. Maybe, yeah, you know what? Probably the eight strand is going to be thicker. Won't have the castability. But if I'm going to fish for bluefin with 40 pounds of drag on my 130, then I'm going to want the eight strand just because I'm going to use it like steel cable. I'm just going to winch the fish in. So hopefully that kind of answered your question. I have no idea who you are because you didn't leave your name. Okay, Dave Hill. Dave, how are you, sir? I haven't seen you in a long, long time. Uh, Dave Hill's asking me about albacore. Gang, there's a whole bunch of people talking about these wind sailors that are out there right now, the little jellyfish, the little... They, they've been here all for the last six, six, eight years. We were seeing them out at Clemente in 2015 when we were catching the bluefin. I don't think it has anything to do with albacore, to be perfectly honest with you. I know they're talking about it on other podcasts. Ooh, that means albacore. No, you know what means albacore? When al we start catching albacore, that's when we're going to catch albacore. Something that most of you don't understand, historically growing up Southern California, we never even started to think about offshore fishing until the 4th of July. You can see a bitchin' interview with uh, Bill Poole over on Michael Folk's Inside Sport Fishing, and he talks about how they would not even start going offshore until they, they like the fireworks and then they start fishing offshore. That's the way it was forever. And then we got spoiled, spoiled, spoiled with the fish starting to bite in the bluefin. They're biting already. I know they're biting out on the 60. You'll see it on our game plans this week. There's bluefin biting on the 60 mile bank. I think it'll go all the way up to the butterfly by the weekend. But as far as albacore go, I sure hope so, Dave Hill, because they're the dumbest tuna of all the tuna, and they find the boat, and they want to die. And they're a really good eating tuna, and they're, 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 they're easy to catch. They're super easy. All these superstars of fishing, the guys that got into it in the last five or six years that are like the very best fishermen on the planet, they have uh, they bought a bunch of Instagram followers, and they got 50,000, 60,000 followers over on Instagram that they bought. All these superstars of fishing, they are really, really, really going to be good fishermen when the albacore show up. Oh, my gosh. They're going to take it to a whole new level of fishing because they're the dumbest tuna on the planet. And it takes almost no skill when they're biting the jigs behind the boat. But if you don't know how to use your sonar, you're going to miss out on a lot of albacore because that was what the last time they were here, they weren't real stupid. They, uh, you needed to really know how to use your electronics, and it made it kind of difficult. But I'm telling you, it's going to make all these internet superstars efficient very, very, very good. The superstars. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about this for a minute. I can go get a couple hundred thousand followers on Instagram tomorrow morning. I can go buy them if that's what 
because that's what 90% of these people have on Instagram, these followers. All of mine are real. All of mine came Facebook and YouTube. They're real followers. They follow us. If you ever come to one of our shows and see us speak, you'll be blown away by the amount of people. You watch our shows. You watch me post videos. Every time I post a video on Facebook or, or YouTube, the amount of uh, the amount of people watching it is just absolutely mind-boggling. We have real followers, real people, real grown-ups over here. So that's all I'm trying to tell you is uh, be careful who you're paying attention to. Be careful who you're watching. Just look at their pedigree, man. If they just started fishing in 2015, why do you want to know what they know? Maybe you do. I don't know. But go ahead and follow them and have a good time. Follow them. Follow, follow, follow. All right. We got some more great questions here. Okay. The Rob, my dude, my main dude. Do you maintain service your own fishing year? No way. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never. That's not my deal. I, When I was young, I had a Pen 500 that I wanted to do, shrink down to a Newell. Uh, Back then, Dave Burris, you're watching, you know, but remember we could take the, the 500 and make it a 99 and it was bitch and jig. Now that's, we can't even comprehend, but that was the deal. And if I took the side plates off and I put the, the shrunk down bars, put the screws back in, that was, that was as technical as I could get, man. One time I took the, I tried to replace the drags and I took the gears apart and I was like, uh-oh. We got a major problem here. Throw that pen 500 in the trash. And nowadays with the with the uh, Akuma reels and the Makaira series and all that stuff, why would you even comp? Why? I had one of my members told me three or four years ago, I got on his boat and he goes, ever since I've taken this reel apart, it doesn't work. And I'm all, what? I go, what do you do for a living? And he goes, oh, I carp... Uh, finished carpenter and I'm going why did you take the Makaira apart what well I wanted to see how it works I go fly line a bait and hook a fish and turn the handle that'll tell you how it works don't take the damn reel apart they they have people that do it for a living that's their job why do you want to try to not me I don't want to try to figure out how to put a, a reel together or how to make it work better or Another problem I see a lot of guys do is they grease too much grease in there and then the free spool sucks and then it's not it's not free spinning. There are people, Mark Mark Romero. If you wanted to get your reels fixed, you didn't want to take them to the factory. Mark Romero has the he is the kindest man and he has a great reel service and he handles a lot of the sport boats and he can take your reel apart, put it back together. He's got all the right tools. He's got all the right things. If you don't know who it is, send me a message after this. I'll send you Mark's personal Facebook page. But he's on Facebook, Mark Romero. He repeal, repairs reels all day, every day. And I'm never taking a reel apart ever. That was not my deal. All right, Mike Lewis. How are you, my friend? Thank you always for all the stars. And everybody that gives me stars every day so I can feed Marley and Kelly and I thank you all. Thank you very, very much. That star thing is really cool and it works very, very well and I appreciate it. Okay, not sure I've fished on a man-made structure. Is there a map or so? 
of SoCal waters with all the main man-made structure coordinates. Well, there's a, Mike Lewis, there's a cool website out there called Your Saltwater Guide. And if you go on Your Saltwater Guide, there is a plethora of the artificial reefs. Kelly Girl just got done putting together a laundry list of all the artificial reefs. So when you go to our website, Your Saltwater Guide, on the website, there is hotspots, SoCal hotspots. And when you click on that, you're going to see all these uh, beautiful GPS numbers that Kelly put together on, on a sheet with our watermark on it. So no one can copy and paste it. Has the logo, your saltwater guide watermark underneath of it. But it shows all the artificial reefs from the Channel Islands down to the Mexican border. And the one down at the Mexican border is called the International Reef. But all these reefs are available there. Also, you can go to West Marine or some of your local tackle stores where they sell that laminated chart. Almost every one of those laminated charts today have all the artificial reefs. They're not super secret spots, gang. They were built for us, by us. Russ Iser. Huge name in the industry. He built Iser's Reef out there off of, uh, down kind of off Seal Beach. That place is a phenomenal place. If everybody would have built all the reefs in 90 feet of water, it would have really been spectacular. The thing that happened at Iser's Reef, and that's for another show, was that's that whole thing that happened that devastated the horseshoe. If you, uh, dare I say it? If you Google or YouTube the uh, the DDT and all the, the chemicals that were dumped into the dumping ground six miles outside of L.A. Harbor, you can see why and what happened up there and why, why what happened and why the kelp doesn't grow at the horseshoe and all those fine things, the dumping grounds right off outside of L.A. Harbor. But um, that's a different show, different different thing altogether. I talked about it offline to anybody that wants to know. It's kind of a scary deal, but there's all kinds of videos about it. You can go on YouTube and watch them all day and you'll just, uh, you'll be blown away. And it just makes you know that it really has nothing to do with you and me fishing. They keep shutting us down, but they really don't ever address the real problems. Go watch those videos about the dumping grounds off of L.A. And uh, it'll blow your mind. If you don't have seen them yet, you, you will blow, it'll blow your mind. My sister, who's been in the industry her whole life, got her mind blown seven, eight months ago when she saw the first one. She had no idea. And that's kind of the deal. They've kind of kept it real quiet. And I don't want to get banned and I don't want to get uh, restricted. So I'm not going to talk about it. But you can go look it up on YouTube and go see and go watch the videos and you will be blown away. All right. Another question, Jack, I haven't talked to you in a long time. My good buddy, filmmaker, you must have been on assignment somewhere because we haven't seen or heard from you. And I was thinking about you. I haven't seen you since the PCS show. Welcome back, Jack. Welcome back, Jack. Okay, what rod and reel setup would you recommend for casting for bluefin schools? Spinning gear, conventional, low profile, filmmaker, Jack. All right, jumping Jack. Oh, let me pull down that. QR code. I guess only four of you are going to download it today, no matter what. Thanks for all the help. Gang, all I'm doing is asking you to help me out and help push my uh, algorithm up by downloading 
my app on your phone. It's the QR codes right there. Hit it with your phone. It'll take a couple seconds. I'm going to pull the QR code down in a minute. Okay. The thing about the uh, spinning reels today are not like the spinning reels your mom and dad had or your grandma and grandpa. These spinning reels are top of the line. Akuma makes some really nice ones. The Makaira series spinning reels and uh, the Avenger series spinning reels. The reason why I suggest spinning reels is because of castability. You don't you don't really understand how important it is to be able to cast into these bluefin, into these foamers until you get out there on the boat and it's all exciting and you see the foamer and you have your conventional reel and your first cast you make is beautiful. And then you wind in your line because the tuna are boiling all over, but you just didn't cast far enough. But then you wind your line up into a big clump on one side. You didn't wind it back and forth nice and level and you go back to cast the next cast and you cast and it makes a big giant backlash and by the time you get your backlash out that school of tuna is gone that's why a spinning rod and reel for people that aren't really really good at casting is a must-have and you're going to want to use the longest spinning rod you can handle i would say i wouldn't use a spinning rod under eight feet there's no reason because you're trying to get that lure or your bait out to the foamer or out to the breaking fish or out to the breezer. You don't want a short spinning rod. You want a long spinning rod. You want something that's going to shut down quick. The first four or five guides, then it's going to shut down and you can put the heat on. But that first four or five guides, you want it kind of kind of loose so that when you cast, it'll give you more castability. And then practice, practice, practice. But Go look at the spinning reels, the Saimar, Cy the, the Avengers series, the Makaira series over there on the Akuma website. Check those out. Those are going to help you out tremendously to be able to cast to these bluefin and be proficient when you're fishing for bluefin. And also, gang, don't forget tomorrow, big show. Big show. We got Robert Earl, Bobby Earl from uh, Wicked Tuna off. Uh, Oh my gosh, him and Amy fished that Wicked Tuna show for a couple of years when they were north versus south or what, what, I'm sorry, but Bobby Earl's with us tomorrow. God, I just blew it. I had it right on. I was ready to talk about it and then I just bleh, blew it, but he's got some phenomenal stories catching thousand pound bluefin. He was right in the hunt the whole time he was on the show, so we wanted. You guys, don't miss the show tomorrow. It's going to be really fun. We're going to be talking giant bluefin. And uh, that was a perfect way to segment into that. So I thank you very much for that, Jack. It should be really fun tomorrow. Make sure you listen and watch. And uh, here we go. Howdy, Dave. What test floral leader do you use for white sea bass? And do you prefer a sliding sinker or a dropper loop rig? Okay, that's a great that's a great question. So when I am uh, when I'm fishing sea bass and Wes, how are you? When I'm fishing sea bass, like I did that day when you guys caught us in the corner there, and I gave you all that live squid. What you're gonna want to do is you're gonna want to fish. If you're fishing shallow, you're gonna want to fish with a small slider, like a quarter ounce or an eighth of an ounce slider and a six aught thin wire hook. And you're going to want to hook that squid on. You're going to want to let it sink slowly through the water column. 
When I'm going to go to the uh, dropper loop rig is when I'm out on the bait ground or I'm fishing a little bit deeper water. I'll put one rod in the rod holder with the dropper loop on it where the sinker is just tapping the bottom of the ocean. Every once in a while it hits the bottom, makes the rod go slack, then it bounces back up, bouncing up and down. Because that sea bass is going to be swimming around off the bottom, they're not going to be laying on the bottom. That's why a reverse dropper loop is the lamest way you can possibly fish. And I know your sister's brother's aunt's cousin caught a big whopper on a reverse dropper loop. Well, that was an accident. And you could never get me to do that because reverse dropper loop is like fishing backwards to me. Plus, I want to be able to feel the bite. So, and then as far as what pound test, when I'm fishing in the kelp, I'm going to be using a piece of 30 pound fluorocarbon because of the, the resistance against the kelp. When I'm fishing, or excuse me, the, the, <clears throat> the way that that fluorocarbon is going to not get abrasion resistance. Ah, thank you. The abrasion resistance of that fluorocarbon, but the shallow water, unless the fish get really stupid, you're still, they're going to be able to see it. So that's why I'm going to use a piece of 30 tied to a piece of 65 pound braid fishing in the edges of the kelp, stuff like that. And then when I'm out on my, with the floral carbon on the dropper loop, I'm using 40 pound or 50 pound. I'm using heavy line because they're, they're not going to have a tendency to see it that much. So straight up and down 40 or 50 pound in the kelp, 30 pound. I don't want to fish less than 30 in the kelp because of the fact that they're going to touch that kelp and that kelp's got barnacles on it. And it's got all kinds of lice and stuff growing on it. So when your line hits that, it's going to have a, a real good chance of getting, a, getting some abrasion and then snapping. What happened, Marley? What did you do? Where are you? I hear you. Oh, you're in your box taking the back door off. Okay. Sorry, I just heard Marley in the back taking his door off. Sorry about that. Oh, you're very, very welcome, Dave. You're very welcome. Okay, you don't own a boat. Hi, Captain Dave, new listener. Any tips on halibut fishing on a sport boat? Trips, landings, I don't own a boat, Isaac. Isaac, yes, Dana, I don't know where you're located at, but uh, my family owns Dana Orr Sport Fishing in Dana Point Harbor. My sister and my brother have a, a plethora of sport boats there in Dana Point Harbor, thanks to my father who Started in the industry in 1947. I know there's a lot of people out there that think Dave's new and he just started. Yep, I just I just started in the industry in 1976, so I don't really know. My dad started in 1947. He doesn't know. There's a lot of people out there that know way more than we ever will, and I understand that, and my hat's off to you. But as far as where I would always send people is Dana Orr Sport Fishing has a halibut derby, Isaac, which is fun to get involved in, and they do trips. I think it's every Tuesday or Sunday that they have their halibut trips during the season. And uh, if you're going to just be focused strictly on halibut fishing and you're going to be on a sport boat and they're anchoring up on the spots and they're, they're fishing bass and sculping and stuff, you want to make the farthest cast you can. Let your bait hit the bottom and then slowly leaving your bait right on the bottom, slowly bring your bait back and then cast back out there and then slowly bring your bait back. And Isaac, if you do download our app at your saltwater guide at your app store or Google play, you will find out that we have a 
a handful of videos about how to halibut fish in the proper way that I think you should halibut fish. But uh, Dana or Sport Fishing is the place. That's where I would send you because I can't send you to other places that my family doesn't own. I'm always sending you to where my family, how we make our living, how we feed our kids. And uh, we will take really good care of you, Isaac. And you can tell any of the people down there at Dana Wharf that, hey, Captain Dave Hansen sent you. It, a lot of the guys will start laughing, but no, I'm just kidding. You can use my name all the time. And when you want to really have fun, bring my name up on some. I'll tell you what sport boats to bring my name up. It makes their heads explode. They're, they're so, so, so jealous. They have to sleep on a thin piece of vinyl at night going out to the island. They hate me. They absolutely hate me. But, oh, well, that's for another show. That's for another show. But, Isaac, that's where I would go, Dana or sport fishing. Okay, here we go. Tim, how are you, buddy? I always see dolphins around my boat in La Jolla while rock fishing. Do they attract the bite? No. Those dolphins that you're seeing, especially this time of year, they're out there for that anchovy. They're out there for the squid. They got nothing to do with the fish. Understand this. When you're catching tuna on the dolphins, they are, they are not eating the tuna. The only reason that the tuna are around the dolphins is because they know they're going to find them something to eat. That's the only time that tuna, tuna, or excuse me, that's the only time dolphin have any correlation with any type of fishing. Once in a very, very rare occasion when there is an epic amount of anchovies on the coast, there's times where you can hook a thresher shark when there's a lot of common dolphins working a big ball of anchovies. Sometimes that thresher shark will be underneath the balls of anchovies, but really, 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 that tuna under the dolphins is going to occur off the beach, three, 4,000 feet of water. It's not going to occur along the beach, and it's definitely not going to occur along rock fishing spots. The dolphin, any type of smaller fish, mackerel, anchovy, sardine, squid, they're going to eat them. So those fish that are swimming around that could get eaten, they're not in a good mood when uh, the dolphins are cruising around because they're going to eat them. So you got to be careful about trying to fish pods of dolphin, especially when the water is freezing cold like it is and brown right now. There's not much of a chance of you catching anything underneath the dolphins this time of year, gang. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. I see so many people waste so much time. And another thing we talk about and we have a whole series of videos over there at my website, your saltwater guide is the, the animals that you see swimming out here with tuna underneath them are not porpoise. Nope. I know your sister's brother's aunt's cousin told you, Oh, I got him on the porpoise. Well, you didn't. You caught him on a hook in the corner of their mouth, but you didn't catch him on a porpoise. You caught him off the backs of some dolphin, common dolphins, spinner dolphins, spotted dolphins, but not porpoise. There's one little bit of porpoise that come around Southern California called the doll's porpoise. Yeah, the whole heads, as Jimmy King's Mill calls them, because he doesn't want to call them porpoise. Because all the old-time fishermen call them porpoise, and they're wrong. They're not porpoise. I don't care. You could, you. Could, I have a, a 1986 Toyota 4Runner. I guess I could call it a Ferrari. Same thing. 
It's not a Ferrari, but I could call it a Ferrari. The dolphin is not a porpoise, and the porpoise is not a dolphin, and the tuna do not swim with porpoise. They never have, and they never will. And those of you on the East Coast, those big gray ones, those are called bottlenose dolphins. They're not porpoise. You're not catching shit on porpoise, I promise you. I said a bad word. All the kids in the audience get free stuff, but you're not catching nothing on porpoise. And the next time you're in a bar, here's an easy, easy way to win a drink. When they say, oh, 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 I was catching them on the porpoise. No, you weren't. I'll bet you all the money I make this year you didn't catch them on the porpoise. Yeah, we caught them on the porpoise. No, you didn't. You caught them on a hook. Can I give me my free drink? Hurry up. Okay. Let's see. We got some more questions here. Dave Burris. What is the list of the sport boats that you hate? No, 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 no. No, we don't want to hurt those little babies' feelings. We don't want to hurt their feelings. There's two guys that are just the worst thing in the world for the industry. The way they cry and whimper and whine on the internet is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Here's something that I think, okay, I'm not going to mention any names. It's real easy. Go over to uh, 976 Tuna, okay? That's a website where you can listen to the captains call in their reports. Here's a report that's always blown my mind. And believe me, I was doing it back and they were all going, oh, look at Captain Sellout. Oh, Captain Sellout. Now they all do it and they all do it all day long because they know that's where the business comes from. But back when I was doing it in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was known as a sellout. Because I was telling people what we were catching, where we, when we were catching it. And I was making two or three reports a day. Now they all do it. Even all the haters, they're there every day. But here's the funniest. And you can go hear these reports right now at 976 Tuna. Go over there and listen. And here's typical captain's report. Hey, gang. There's Jimmy Joe Jack on the Jack of Joe. Uh, fishing sucked today. Fishing was horrible. The water's freezing. The current's smoking. Fishing was terrible today. I ate about 15 of my boogers today. I ran out of boogers to eat because I'm a booger-eating moron. But I just want to let you know we got plenty of openings tomorrow if you want to join us. I can't believe we're not making it off the dock. Those of you that are listening, there's a lot of captains that listen. Listen, if fishing sucks, don't call in. If you've had a bad day and you think you need to vent to the public and tell them how suck you are and how you suck and you eat your boogers all day, don't call and leave that report. First of all, it doesn't help the industry in any way, shape or form, which I do on a daily basis. I help the whole industry, every part of it. But if you're gonna call in and be super negative the whole time and talk about all the private boats that get in your way and that your passengers suck and then the fishing sucks and the current sucks and the water sucks. Don't ask us at the end to come on fishing with you. Are you out of your ever? How stupid are you? That is so stupid. And if you don't believe me, gang, go over there and listen to 976. Go listen. 976 Tuna. 
the captain's reports and you'll be blown away at how many of them have no idea how to market themselves. And a lot of them sound like this when it, oh, yeah, good morning, it's Jim on the Dragon Journal. I'm sitting here and conditions aren't quite, I don't know. Wake up, man. This is your day. This is you. You're promoting yourself. Man, I don't know how 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 hard it is. Just it just blows my mind that these guys are. This is what they're doing for a living, and they just don't understand. Don't call if you're tired. Don't call if you got nothing but negative to spew out of your mouth. Don't call. We don't want to know how suck your life is, and we don't want to know how bad your life sucks. We don't want to know that. None of us do. We don't want to know. So. Do us all a favor and stop calling in and telling us how shitty your life is. Oh, now all the kids in the audience get more free stuff. That's two cuss words. That should cover me for the rest of the year. I'm so sorry, everybody. I apologize. Those are horrible words that I should not ever say. But I get wound up because this is my industry. This is my livelihood. This is my life. This is my family's life. I don't understand the negative calls. I just don't get it. I do not understand it. And then to beg us to come fishing with you tomorrow when you just told us how crappy it is and how much you hate it. We're not going. Okay. We're just, I'm sorry. More photometer tricks and tips would help tremendously. Okay, Tim, I will try to make more of the videos about that because yeah, it is super important to know how to, uh, it is super important to know how to uh, use your fish finding apparatus, your fatometer. That is a super important tool that you want to know more about. Hey gang, you know who those captains are. Share this, share this with them and watch their heads explode. They're going to tell you why they believe it's super important to be negative when they call in their reports. And that is the dumbest marketing thing I've ever heard of in my life. I just can't, I just can't, cannot. Uh, it just blows my mind all the time. And I heard two of them yesterday and I'm just, woo. Yeah. And at the end, every time at the end, after they share a bunch of neg, they go, yeah, we got openings tonight. <laughs> you do? That's amazing. I can't believe that you would actually have openings when you, when the fishing is so crappy. All right. All right. What are the best strategies for overnighting a 33-foot express at the islands or the Coronados? I've never been, but seems better that driving all that way back to San Diego in the evening if I'm going to be fishing the next day. Kendall, first of all, the number one thing I would suggest, and why wouldn't you do this? Download my app. Be a member of your saltwater guide. I want to help you to be successful when you go on your boat. There isn't anybody else out there that wants to help you as much as I do. I want you to be successful. Your saltwater guide is the place to get all the information. And there's so many people on here right now that are members of the website that'll tell you I answer all my calls. I want to help everybody. But as far as the Coronados or Catalina or whatever island you want to spend the night at, you need to find a good anchorage. The Coronados... There's just a billion flies and a billion sea lions there. It's not a fun place to hang out. It's, it's just not 
I know the ride home sucks, but if you can start figuring out how to fish Catalina and how to be on cattle at Catalina, there's so much more to do at Catalina. And I talk about this in my show all the time. I know everybody thinks you need to be to San Diego. Everybody thinks you got to go to San Diego. Everybody wants to go to San Diego. San Diego is really, really not set up that good for private voters, to be perfectly honest with you. If you do decide to go to the Coronados, you have to have Mexican insurance. You have to have Mexican fishing license. You have to have an FM3 and a, and a wristband. And, and they could change the different laws tomorrow. And you're going into a foreign country. And then you don't know. And you're going to be anchored up at night. And the, the Mexican Navy might be looking for a sandwich or a soda. So they could board your boat at night there. And just the fear and the problems and everything that it causes for the private boater, it's just not worth it. I know a lot of you private boaters, okay, that's great. Here's the cool thing about Catalina. Catalina, you get a mooring can, yep. You get a mooring ball. They have a shore boat, takes you into the beach. You can go have a nice steak dinner at Steve's Steakhouse. You can go see a movie at the casino. You can hang out, you can set your alarm. While you're on the morning ball, you can set your alarm. Let's say the sea bass slack tides at 3.30 in the morning. You're on the morning ball. You went had a nice dinner at Steve's Steakhouse. You come out of the out of the harbor at Avalon. The Long Beach Carnage is anchored up right there in front of the harbor. You swing over there. You get a couple passes of squid. You go around the east end of the island and go anchor up on the spot and be there at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to catch that sea bass. Can't do that at the Coronados. Can't do that in San Diego. Just going to Catalina from San Diego is a 70-mile run one way. One way, 70 miles. Okay? But Catalina is such a phenomenal place for the private boater in Southern California. It's a great place to hang out. It's a great place to spend the night. It's a great place to fish. There's tons of stuff to do there. And then that tuna or that bluefin or that yellowfin or the dorado or all that is was in the last ten, seven, eight years was in striking distance of that, made it real easy for fishing there. Catalina's great. It's got three harbors that you can choose from. You got the backside, you got Cat Harbor, which is a phenomenal harbor when the wind is howling. It's a great anchorage or a mooring. Then you got the Isthmus Harbor on the front side, west end. And then down east, you got Avalon Harbor. You got three beautiful harbors at Catalina, which are phenomenal for the private boater. I don't know why guys launch out of San Diego. <laughs> if you have a boat, trailer of a boat, you should be launching out of Dana Point. Because you're right there, close to all the cool stuff. If you fish out of San Diego on your private boat, first thing you're going to do is drive down the coast. Coronado Islands, or keep going down the lower 500s, the cross, the Ensenada, all that stuff. And then when it's time to go home, you have to drive straight into it all the way home, just getting the ever-loving bejesus beat out of you. For the private boater, I know there's a gazillion private boats in San Diego, and but if you're on a trailerable boat, Dana Point is the only place to go. And I know some people don't like the parking there. I don't care. It's, I don't. Once I park my boat, I don't care what the parking was like. I'm on my boat, I'm leaving the harbor, and we're... We're actually fishing in five minutes if we wanted to. We could fish the pipe in front of the harbor in five minutes from the launch ramp. By the time you get your boat on the trailer, 
get your trailer pulled out of the launch ramp, then get all the way down to the freeway in San Diego. By the time you get to the five freeway or the 805, I'm already at home. Because in Dana Point, I'm on the launch ramp five minutes from the mouth of the harbor. I'm on the launch ramp and I'm at home. Gang, you can't do that anywhere else. Can't do that in LA. Can't do that in Long Beach. Can't do that in San Diego. Can't do that in Newport. The time that it takes you to get to the freeway, I'm already home in Dana Point. I'm already home if I have an hour drive because I was in at the dock in five minutes from the mouth of the harbor to the dock. You're still got 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Drive through the harbor to get to the launch ramp. Yes, you do. I know I was on every private boat known to man on every launch ramp up and down the California coast. And I would always try to talk all my guys into going out of Dana Point because I like time on water is the number one thing when I'm going fishing. The more time I can spend on the water, the better. And the less time I can drive in traffic to get some, those two things matter more than anything. That's why Dana Point's the best place to launch your boat. All right. Well, we got one. My goodness. We've already gone an hour. Okay. Is there a difference between the app and your website? Yes. The really cool thing about the app is once you put it on your phone or your iPad or whatever, you if you go to the website, first thing you have to do is put in your login. You have to put in your login and then, then you click and then it starts to open. On the app, once the app is on your phone or your iPad, all you do is click on the app, it's open. Super easy especially on your phone or your iPad or when you're out on the ocean. And also you can hit the download button on the app and you can download all the spots and all the game plans and everything. And it'll stay downloaded just like Netflix. When you download movies on Netflix, I've set it up so that you can download the spots. You can download the game plans. You can download the how-to videos and they all last on your phone for 30 days. So if you're going fishing for two or three days and you want to have all the spots and all the game plans, the app is the way to go. Any, the app is the way to go for anything. It's just super convenient, super easy. And it was a huge commitment. If you don't believe me, go try to build an app. Your saltwater guide isn't owned by a corporation. There's not 50 guys behind the scenes. There's not five marketing agents. There's not all. It's me and Kelly and Marley. That's it. My wife, Kelly, myself, and my monkey. We're it. There is nobody else. It's me and I. The, the whole website, fishing app, everything was built by a person that's fished his whole life for a living. When you call the phone number, 949-374-0786, the only person that answers is me. It blows my members minds when they call me and I answer the phone and I don't know why it blows their minds because I've told you a hundred million times I admit I'll answer the calls I answer you you can be at Catalina you can be at San Clemente Island you can be at the corner anywhere you have phone service and you call me and you say hey Dave I'm sitting here outside of Avalon looking at the jet ski dock and I just don't quite understand I know I, I watched your hotspot video and I just don't quite understand where I'm supposed to anchor. And I tell you exactly. I go, okay, drive in. Do you see a rock on the beach that's kind of yellowish? That the water's kind of, you can see where the water line is. You see that yellowish rock with a little bit of moss on it? And they go, yeah. And I go, anchor up 
right? It's which way is the current going? Up the island or down the island? Up the island, Dave. Okay, so anchor up. So it's on your when you anchor, when you set the anchor, that rock is on your right shoulder and you're in 62 feet of water. Does anybody do that for you? I don't think so. So yeah, the app matters. It really does. It's going to help you out tremendously. It's going to change exactly your confidence level when you're out there on the water. When you're fishing. So download the app. Don't be afraid. It's not going to hurt you. This app will not hurt you. There's nothing on it that's going to hurt you. I, I want you to enjoy yourself. I'm not here to rip you off. I'm not going to rip you off. If something, if you ever got a charge that didn't make sense, you call me immediately. I give you back every penny of your money. I don't care. I got so many members, so many people on this. I don't, if you're not happy, I give you back every penny you spent. That's how honest I am. That's me. I got nothing but accolades from all the people. Google me, check me out, go look. I am who I am. It's all real. There isn't nobody else doing what I do. I promise you that. There's no one else in Southern California that's going to help you at the level I'm going to help you at. So if none of that, if that all sounds too good to be true, give it a shot. Try it out. Let me know. Dial my phone. See who answers. All right, gang. Tomorrow's a big show. We got Robert from uh, uh, Northern Wicked Tuna Fishing. Robert Earl, bug, real bugging is his charter company. You're gonna see. We're gonna do a great interview with him and his and his uh, fiance Amy. They're gonna be on the show tomorrow. It's gonna be a great show. We'll have some. You can send in your questions. Check it out. Don't miss the show tomorrow. It's going to be insane. We're going to have a really good time. Bobby's a really good guy. Him and I have had some phenomenal conversations. And uh, I think you'll all enjoy the show. I want to thank you all. Thanks for down the, the six of you that downloaded my app. Thank you very, very much. And the rest of you, I don't know what you're afraid of. But uh, I promise you I won't, I won't be so scary next time. Because obviously I'm way too scary talking so honest. Have a great day. I'll talk to you all tomorrow.